Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Wow, awesome time of worship. I'm losing my voice from singing. Anybody with me? I always got to remember during worship that I still have to preach, especially in first service, because I'm just singing it out. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church family. It's so good to have you guys here. If you're new with us, we extend a special welcome to you. My name's Nathan. I'm honored to be our lead pastor here. And I just wanted to celebrate that testimony about Celebrate Recovery and that awesome story that we're going to get to hear on Wednesday. Anybody is welcome. It's 6.30 to 7.30. And I wanted to remind you that this church was extraordinarily generous, and we had a miracle together with our Christmas offering this, um, this past Christmas, and we, we helped fund that Celebrate Recovery ministry. So stories like that are coming out as a result of part of our Christmas offering, as, long, as well as paying off the debt and all the other things that we'll be highlighting throughout the year. I also want to remind you that are going to the Mayan Yucatan on our missions trip in June. We have a meeting right after this service. It's about 20 minutes long. It'll be right up that hallway there. And today's the deadline. So if you have any interest, um, this would be your last chance to come check it out before we uh, close up that registration and start developing that team that is going. It's going to be amazing. I'm not sure how many of you are like me with your exercise habits, but I want to share a story that's probably going to embarrass me a little bit, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. And it's, it, it hopefully will also be an encouragement and set up our message today. First of all, probably like many of us, I don't have a perfect exercise routine. Anybody with me? Like I have ideas about it, but I don't fully execute that plan all the time. And the way it works for me is I usually stretch. I'm one of those guys that can't touch his toes no matter what I do. Anybody else with me? Like as a kid growing up, I felt like I could do everything. I could crush the, the, the pull-ups, the sit-ups, the mile. But in the 90s, they called it the V-sit. You guys remember that? Anybody? And I couldn't even get past zero on the V-sit. So I had like a failing grade every time. Stinking school system. So I stretch, and I try to work on my, even though I can't touch my toes, um, I would show you how far I can go, but I'm going to limit the embarrassment today to a little bit. I do some push-ups, I do some sit-ups, and then I get on the classic treadmill, and I am not joking here, but about 10 minutes into my treadmill workout, I've got my sweat going, and I might as well be Rocky Balboa climbing up the steps in downtown Philadelphia. I'm not joking. I put this music on and I start turning it up, and it inspires me to keep running. And then I go for a full 30 minutes, and when I get to the end of my 30 minutes, I am, I am so powerful that I'm Rocky Four at this moment. That's how I feel. I might as well be wearing the American flag, and just, it might be my first workout in a month, but that's me. You know what I'm talking about. The reason I share that is because physical formation as you guys know, matters. Check out this excerpt. Regular physical activity is one of the most important things you can do for your health. Being physically active can improve your brain health, help manage weight, reduce the risk of disease, strengthen bones and muscles, and improve your ability to do everyday activity. activity. So it really matters. Even more so, our spiritual formation matters. Regular spiritual activity is one of the most important things you can do for your health. Formation is one of our four core values here at Graceland Church. You could also use the word discipleship. Here's how we articulate it. We are beautifully wrecked by the gospel of Jesus. 
Now our desire is to grow as lifelong followers, being formed daily more into his likeness. Through spiritual practices, we remind ourselves to walk in the way of Jesus and learn to practically live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So oftentimes, our walk with God begins with some sort of encounter, and that's incredible, but it must be followed up with healthy formation. I have been just celebrating and weeping over what God is doing at Asbury University and a lot of other universities around the country now. And I'm so filled with faith and hope for Gen Z that is leading that movement, right? These are, this is like my oldest daughter's generation. Isn't that incredible? I'm so excited to just become the old guy that releases the kids to go and like follow in their lead. And I've been celebrating that and I'm praying for God's continued supernatural awakening here in our church and my family around our country. And anyone that's been around awakenings like this knows it must be followed up with healthy formation. So we always have both things happening. We have supernatural encounter with God and then we need healthy formation and discipleship. It's really why we gather as a church, other than the core piece of just worshiping God. The reason I lose my voice on Sundays, just worshiping God and crying out to him. We gather, and this is actually a pre-principle in your notes if you're a note taker. We gather consistently for divine encounter and steady formation. So we put ourselves in the position to meet with God supernaturally. But you know, every Sunday, we don't have like a life-altering fall on our face encounter with God, and that's not a bad thing. There's also the priority of forming ourselves along with the family of God and developing our spiritual muscles. Are you guys tracking with me? The way we are formed is through repetition. So there's nothing monotonous. Oh, it's another Sunday or another community group or another time to read my scripture. Reframe all that as I am forming myself in the way of Jesus. Repetition leads to formation. And whenever we think we're not being formed by something, we're missing it. There's always something forming us. It could be our laziness. It could be our really bad habits. It could be our lack of prioritizing the church family. But I wanna encourage you to, to lean into the principle that repetition leads to formation because it, it gets really frustrating when we have upward vision but downward habits, right? We have upward faith but downward formation. That leads to a lot of frustration and, and it leads to a misshaped life. The really good news, though, is that God has the solution for how to be shaped by him. It starts with the gospel, the encounter with God, and then it's empowered by the Holy Spirit through his word in our formation. So we're going to talk about this for a few minutes today. And maybe that Rocky soundtrack, you know, such a good soundtrack, by the way. I mean, and let me just do a quick poll. How many out of the, I'm only going to say the first four Rockies, because Rocky five doesn't count. It was so bad. But then we came back around. We have some pretty good, like, modern ones now, and Creed is cool. But let's just pick the first four Rockies. Who's a Rocky one person? We got a few. This says a lot about your personality. Who's a Rocky two person? You can say all of them, but we're just saying, what's your favorite? Who's a Rocky three person? A little bit of, who's a Rocky four person? Rocky four, come on. These are my people. Working out in the snow, growing. He did it as he was getting older. I want to look for a few minutes at how your life is shaped. And I hope the Rocky soundtrack, soundtrack becomes a soundtrack for your spiritual formation as well as your physical formation. We're going to read in John 12, verse 37. This is after three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. So he's been doing 
miracles. He's been sharing the good news. He's been calling people to follow him. He's been doing things like walking on water, all amazing things. And he's just a few days before his crucifixion. And we pick up in verse 37. It says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Sometimes we think that the miracle is what we need to believe. Certainly, sometimes we think that if God would just show up in the world and do this certain miracle, the whole world would believe. But we see clearly in scripture, and this is number one, miraculous signs are not the answer. And we're gonna come back to the second half of that principle. And I wanna clarify, miraculous signs are good. We serve a miracle-working God. But miraculous signs don't solve all our problems and don't guarantee that we're moving towards Christ. We have a whole crowd here who's been around Jesus and seen the things he's done who is still resisting him. And then when we continue reading in verse 38, it starts to unfold what the answer is. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason... They could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And I want you to lock in with me for a minute because this passage can be pretty severely misunderstood. This is talking about the mystery of God's sovereignty and our free will which miraculously are both true at the same time. In other words, God knows those who are his. He knows those who are or will be believers, but he does not decide who they will be. Scripture is clear that he wants all to come to him. We looked at it last week. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Scripture teaches us that God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient because he wants all to come to repentance. Yet at the same time, God foreknows everything we will ever do, including those of us that will reject him to the end. Moore's commentary says, he does not mean that the blinding takes place without the will or against the will of these people. So with the hardening of their heart, it was their own deliberate choice. And I wanna take a minute to clarify this because I don't want this text to scare you. What I believe is this, if you find yourself wrestling with your belief in Jesus, or responding to conviction, or even wrestling with your conviction, or doing all the things to work out your salvation, but you're frustrated with it, it actually is evidence that you are responding to God. And it's evidence that you are, that you are leaning into what those described in this passage would not lean into. We see it at the end of verse 40. It says, they didn't turn. If they would, I would heal them. And it shows us the invitation and the promise. So number one, to finish it, Miraculous signs are not the answer. Turning towards God is the answer. Whether we see the miracle we want or not, turning towards God is the answer. And this leads us into looking at how we are shaped. Number two, your life will be shaped by who you turn to. The answer is found in who we turn to, and it will shape who we are. Make no mistake about it. You are bringing all of your stuff somewhere. You could be stuffing it down deeper in you. You could be taking it out, 
trying to take it out with some sort of self-medication or escapism. You could be taking out an anger on your loved ones. It's going somewhere. And I'm so thankful that over and over in Scripture, we see invitations like, come to me all who are weary. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come and reason with me. And I, though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Call on me and I will show you things you don't know. Open the door and I will welcome you in and dine with you. I mean, we have all these invitations and it's one of the most consistent things that I sense God speaking to me about when I'm calling on him and wrestling is, Nathan, just keep bringing everything to me. Just bring it all. Bring all the questions. Bring the frustrations. Bring the doubts that scare you. Bring the worries. Bring the fears. Bring it all to him over and over again, and that shapes who we are. You see, the, it's like a little, it's like a secret that we somehow miss, and the enemy tries to make us think that we are just worse than everybody else, but the secret is not that we now live a perfect life. The secret is that we keep bringing the mess of our life to God. He deals with it, and then, yes, he calls us into his holiness, but it's based on how he responds to us when we bring him our reality. Are you guys tracking with this? This is a really important distinction in how we follow Jesus, and as we keep reading this text, we're going to see principles of how we are shaped. In verse 42, it says, at the same time as they were not believing, it says that many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus, which was a miracle. Up until this point, most of the leaders were resisting Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. They were not believing. But look what it says in verse 42. Because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. So as a definition for praise, warm approval, honor, the opinion of judgment or view. So these leaders were believing in Jesus, but still resisting him because they loved the honor and opinion of man more than God. Number three, your life will be shaped by whose approval you love the most. Do you love God's approval the most? Or do you love the approval of others the most? Barclay said, secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. For either secrecy kills the discipleship or discipleship kills the secrecy. There is no such thing as a closeted follower of Jesus. If you're growing as a follower of Christ and a disciple, the world will know about it. And you must decide to not care that the world thinks you're nuts to not care if the world makes fun of you or if the world tries to make a mockery of you and your whole life because it's based on faith. To this day, I still have like friends that I've known for decades and some family members that I know think my life is a joke because it's entirely built around the things of God. They cannot understand how we do what we do and have committed ourselves to what we've committed ourselves to and they make fun of it. Now, they do it somewhat respectfully, but it bothers me. I don't like it, but we have to constantly come back to, we love the approval of God, not the opinions of others. These leaders wouldn't fully follow Jesus because they were so locked in with the Pharisees, and it leads to number four. Your life will be shaped by who you are with. They were still calling these Pharisees like their primary tribe. Therefore, they cared so much about what they think. 
There's a band that I love called Need to Breathe. Have you guys ever heard of them? They had a lot of crossover success in the general market, though they were a Christian band. And I've heard them testify about this a number of times. I have not met them yet, but I, they're some of my future best friends. I realize that. So I loved what they said in their early days because they were having all this general market or like secular success. And they loved that, but they, they, they said they still always just felt different, like kind of outside. No matter how many songs would be hits on just normal shows on TV, no matter how many awards they would get, they still kind of felt like the outsiders. And they ended up writing a song. One of their early hit songs was called The Outsiders, and a bunch of them tattooed it on their arm. And there's something about followers of Christ where we just have to accept we are other than, right? We just have to sit with that. We cannot be fully the world. My dad used to say that to me when I was a kid. I was in punk rock bands in high school, and I wanted to get tattoos and piercings, and my dad wasn't, like, super against it. My mom was more against it. And my dad would say, though, Nathan, first of all, I want you to wait till you're 18 until you start doing all that, then do whatever you want, because uh, I was, like, 14 or 15 at the time. And he's, but here, here was the principle he started teaching me. He was like, it's, you know, the music, it's fine, what you're doing, it's great. He would listen to the songs I was writing and, and the shows we were doing. He would come and check things out. He said, it's fine, but don't forget, you're never going to be able to go as far into those things as the world goes. You can never go all the way. You never will be fully accepted if you're a follower of Jesus. And that is, my brothers and my sisters, part of the reality of what we're called to. And we just have to get a lot more comfortable with being settled in our approval from God. And let me be really clear. Saying your life will be shaped by who you're with doesn't mean stop being friends with people that aren't Christians. No, no, no. We need you to go be friends with people that are not Christians. We need to be in the world, not of it, right? We need to stay connected with those that don't know Jesus yet. Who's going to reach them? Here's where we got to be careful. We have to really curate who we are letting influence us. We have to have a core central tribe that I would submit needs to be the body of Christ. It needs to be believers that will spur you on towards the Lord. Are you guys tracking with me? So I just want to encourage you as boldly as possible to be with the family of God. Make it among the highest priorities of your life. Surround yourself with believers. Don't cut yourself off from knowing people that are not believers, but surround yourself at the core with believers that will spur you on, that will encourage you, that will correct you. You need some people in your life that just the sound of their voice draws you towards the Lord, right? The whole thing of it's just Jesus and me and I don't need anybody else is a lie. We need the body. This is the body of Christ, right? We need to be locked in. Part of jumping into the river of God is committing to the family of God. I am so thankful for my connection to the body of Christ throughout my whole life. I just was on a Zoom call with some pastors, about 15 pastors from different cities around the world that I've been walking with for about 12 years. And we, at this point, we can only connect about once a year. This one was just on Zoom. But I'm telling you, that one-hour call spurred me on in my faith so powerfully that it will affect my entire year, right? And it's brothers in the faith. And we need sisters and we need brothers that speak to us. Just this morning in our prayer circle before our first service at 8.30 a.m., about 15 or so of us this morning huddled up out there that are all getting ready to serve in various areas of the church. And as I began to pray with them, 
I controlled myself well, so they didn't realize it. But I almost just, almost just started crying right there because, goodness, the family of God I need in my life. I need to be running with co-laborers. This thing, I'll just speak for myself, this thing with me, even the phrase like senior pastor or lead pastor is such a false, it gives such a false image of what this is. There are no heroes of our faith. There's all of us on our face before the Lord running together, right? I need you, you need me, right? We are in this thing, the mission of God together. So I just wanna encourage you, you will be shaped by who you're with and making those choices about who you're with and whose voices you listen to will affect who you love to approve. And then reading on, imagine this tense scenario. The crowd is there. The disciples are there. There's some Pharisees there. It says in verse 44, Jesus cried out. Imagine that. This isn't the whispering Jesus on the hillside. He did that, I'm sure. But in this moment, it says, Jesus cried out. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He again just articulates, anyone can come to me. I am the light, he says. You do not have to walk in darkness. And I wanna focus your attention on how he says, the one who looks at me is actually seeing my father who sent me, God the father. He's bringing revelation to the fact that he is God in the flesh, that's what the incarnation is. If you wanna know what God the Father is like, if you wanna know what the creator of the heavens and the earth is like, look at Jesus. That's who he is and Jesus is saying that and he is encouraging them to look at him because number five, your life will be shaped by where you are looking. Sometimes when we get our eyes off of faith in Jesus, that's when we begin worrying about how we're even gonna finish this race. That's when we begin forgetting all the things that Jesus has said to us and promised. That's when we begin reeling and, and, and believing our own thoughts more than the thoughts of God's word. Pastor Rob Rates and I were just talking last week about the promise that when, when scripture tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, it has this follow-up promise because he is the author and finisher of our faith. So no wonder when we're not looking at Jesus, that we lose sight of the finish line. He's the finisher. It's not us responding to the author and saying, now I got it. It's us responding to the author and continually responding to the finisher. It also uses the word perfecter. So my, my, my brothers and my sisters, you are the beloved of God. Look to Jesus. Set your direction, set your aim. We have to aim our lives and we need to aim it towards Jesus. He goes on by saying, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. I want you to notice the phrase, where he says it's about accepting his words. We don't always realize this, but we are always accepting someone's words as the truth. And whoever's words we are accepting as the truth is what defines reality for us. And number six in your notes, your life will be shaped by whose words you accept. And Jesus says this right here. If we don't accept his words, we will be judged by his words before the Father. 
and they will judge us and we will be found wanting because we have not accepted his words that cover us in his righteousness. But if we accept his words according to his mercy and grace, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we are judged according to the righteousness of Christ. And ultimately, as he's about to say here in verse 49, his words lead to eternal life. But we just miss this and we accept so many other words in our life that we have no business accepting. Like, my friend James, who led worship, imagine if James, on any given Monday, whatever thought just floats into his head, he accepts. <laughs> that would be a horrible way to live. I don't know every thought that James thinks, but I'm sure he's got some crazy ones. <laughs> I've got some crazy ones. Things just float out of nowhere. Insane stuff comes between these ears. Anybody with me? You must choose what you will accept. That's spiritual warfare, vying for what is true. You know, our culture is so obsessed right now with your truth, right? Everyone's like, what is your truth? You can't deny anybody's truth. By the way, little, little um, pro tip. The way that I deal with that and the reason that I don't even get upset with people when they, when they say that to me in counseling or, or when they like push back on me if we're having a conversation, just reframe that in your mind as someone saying my experience, right? That's all they're really saying. I mean, not everyone is saying that. Some people are using that as, as a weapon to say there is no real truth. We know there is truth, but, but whenever, whenever someone says, like, comes in my office, is like, can I just share my truth with you? I, I don't sit back and be like, well, first of all, you don't have a truth. There is only one truth. Two plus two equals four. Like, I could do that, and that's true, but I just reframe it as them saying, can I share my experience with you? Their experience is true to them, and it's different from my experience. Are you guys tracking with me on that? Just to kind of like settle us down from being so triggered by, by everyone all the time. So, so their experience is true. But of course, we want to lead them to understanding that there is an ultimate truth, which is more and more contested in our day and age. We don't trust the media anymore. We increasingly don't trust government. We increasingly don't trust teachers, professors, friends, pastors. We don't trust parents. We don't trust grandparents. We don't trust anybody. So what is the truth? That's gonna be the question of our age. There is a core, solid, unchangeable truth. And you've gotta do the spiritual warfare in your mind about whose word you accept. And it leads to the next thing Jesus says. I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. Number seven, your life will be shaped by whose command you follow. When you accept words as truth, they can quickly become commands that we follow. Do you realize how absurd it is that oftentimes we follow other people's opinions as commands? If we're really honest with ourselves, we let what people do and say affect us so much that it changes how we make our decisions and we ignore the commands of God to follow the commands of people's opinions. Or like we talked about two weeks ago, sometimes we follow our up and down emotions as commands. Let me just say it real bluntly, and I'm preaching to myself here. When we let an emotional state that we're in ruin a day or a week or a month or a year or 10 years, we are allowing ourselves to be commanded by our emotions. And that, that is no way to live. Our emotions are real. Our experience is real. It doesn't mean it is the truth. Right? We, got, we have to bring those emotions into subjection to the truth. We might not feel the truth. 
but we need to make decisions according to the truth. These are themes we've been seeing come to us through the book of John over the past few weeks. Just to be really transparent with you, and one of my daughters, Kenzie, is right here with me on the front row, my 10-year-old, and so I'll just use an example that, that we can have in our daily lives. You know, I have four kids between four and 13, and so our house is beautifully loud. Would you agree, Kenzie? Not always beautifully loud. Um, it's, um, there's fighting that takes place. Would you agree, Kenzie? Yeah, there's, uh, there's mistakes made. There's uh, all that stuff. You guys know the real humanity of life? And sometimes I can be like so filled with vision like on my way home after work, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I could just take any mountain right now. I could just change the world. Like, here we go. And then I walk in the door, and one kid might say something to me, and I might even control myself well and not react to it, but it makes me angry internally, right? And as soon as I get the anger internal, even if I'm controlling it well, which I don't always do, that anger speaks something to me. And you know what it usually speaks? See, you can't do this, Nathan. You, you, you cannot be triggered that easily. It, it lies to me, my own anger, my, my, and my own emotions from the re-anger. My sinfulness tries to sell me, no, 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 you're not gonna make it. This is just gonna keep happening. It's gonna get worse. The worst version of this for me when I've let it really lie to me, and this is not often at all, but I have, I've had the thoughts where that is lying to me so much that I've, I've almost believed, man, it'd be better for my kids if I wasn't in the picture. That's a crazy thought to think, but it's passed through these ears before because I know my internal self, right? And I know how much I fall short. In those moments, you know what spiritual warfare becomes? Whose words do I accept? My emotions? My anger? Or in the middle of that, when it really counts, do I accept the words of Jesus that says I'm still his beloved son? And it doesn't gloss over my sin. I must ask for forgiveness, repent, and do that over and over and over again. But as I let his words define my reality, you know what it does? It relifts me back up, and all of a sudden, I can function with my kids with mercy and grace. The enemy wants to derail you by getting you to accept words that aren't true. And sometimes that's your own judgment of yourself. If there's anything that's really gonna take me out, I feel like it's my own judgment of myself. It just lies to me and says, no, you can't, you can't, you can't, stop, you're not enough, it's not gonna work. It happens all the time. You must engage in the spiritual warfare because when you accept the words, then you follow the commands. If you start following the commands that your anger lies to you about or your disappointment or your own self-judgment lie to you about, it takes you completely away from the Lord. It gets you to the point, then you feel like, man, I can't, oh gosh, I can't help in ministry anymore. Oh, I can't, I shouldn't even show up. I'm gonna get struck by lightning. God's not with me. It leads to all manner of lies. So as the team comes up, I'm gonna share one closing illustration and then we're gonna just respond together. A message like this can sometimes be misinterpreted as preaching um, works instead of grace. Um, And I wanna give an illustration to help clarify that. Everything I'm talking about, how we are shaped before the Lord, And everything that we must do, our part in that, because it matters, it matters profoundly, is all in response to the good news of Jesus. And it's all empowered by the multiplying power of the Holy Spirit. And the way I think of that is this. You know when you're at the airport, and sometimes if you're at a big airport, they have those moving sidewalks? You know, and you can walk on the moving. Some people think the moving sidewalk is just to get on and stand. Those people are wrong. (laughs) Let me just share a pet peeve. 
Those people are wrong. The moving sidewalk is to get on and keep walking so that you can go a little quicker. If you're going to stop, at least stand over to the right and move your bag over with you. You know what I'm saying? And you've always got those really, like, passionate people that don't go on the moving sidewalk but speed walk next to you because they want to show you they're faster than you even when you're on the moving sidewalk. You've got those people too. I'm a big fan of just walking on the moving sidewalk, right? And we do it with our kids when we're at airports and it's fun. I think it's a great illustration of how to think about how our life is shaped before the Lord because, you know, when I'm on my little treadmill at home, on like three out of 10, doing the slowest, most pathetic little jog, but sweating and thinking that I'm Rocky Balboa and listening to the theme song. You know, if, if you take that little tiny step towards health and use it as a metaphor for what we do spiritually, it's our, our, our little attempt at jogging, the spirit of God moves supernaturally under our, under our feet and takes us beyond where we can even ask or imagine with our little jogging obedience. Are you tracking with me there? Like the way he shapes us when we take just one step back towards him is miraculous. And it is entirely based on the good news of Jesus and what he says about you. So I don't want you to get this idea of, man, I better just spiritually work out or I'm doomed. Everyone else is gonna beat me. That's not the message. The message is this, man, I am so loved by God Man, God has so purchased me back. God has so has a vision for me that is so beyond me. God has so made a way for me and given me supernatural like expansion of my little efforts that when I just sit down and, and let my knees hit the floor one time on the side of my bed in the middle of the mess, it's like all of heaven and this great crowd of witnesses surrounds me. And I'm like growing into being an Olympic athlete, not because of me, but because Jesus says I'm clothed in his righteousness, right? It's a really different picture. So I do, uh, you, you gotta have that picture when you're thinking about how your life is shaped. Are you guys tracking with me on that? So Lord, help us with this, we pray. Let me pray this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always in Christ's name. And as I prayed that, I remembered the last two things. If anyone would like some prayer, I'm going to come up here. And Heather, if you could come on, just stand here for a minute. James is going to play for a moment after we dismiss. We'd love to pray with you. Also, I forgot to mention, we have the Jesus Revolution movie coming out this week. Um, I got to go see it with the directors a couple weeks ago. Our youth are getting to go to, get, go to a pre-screening this Wednesday at 6 at the Spring Hill Movie Theater. Do they have to talk to you about that? Talk to Oscar if you want one of those tickets. They're free. We got a few dozen of them, I think. Um, you guys got to see this movie, and it's such beautiful timing. As we're seeing revival on our college campuses, we have a movie coming out about the Jesus movement and the revival that literally changed our culture in our, in our country. So let's pray. Come on. Gen Z, lead us on. Gen Z, take us there. Like, let's go. Go see the movie. It is a Lionsgate movie, which is a major studio. We used to live right next to that studio in Santa Monica. And the fact that they're putting out a movie called Jesus Revolution is a really big deal. And the directors of the movie told us this whole story about how the president of Lionsgate, who's an avowed atheist, came out of the movie crying. And because of how God's working in his heart, allowed them to keep Jesus in the title. And every studio in uh, Los Angeles, all these movie-making companies, we have a lot of friends there because we pastored there, they're all looking to see how this movie does. 
So go see it, support it, go see it five times. And uh, it's really exciting. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. I could preach again, clearly. We're dismissed.